0: Morning. It's good to see you all, good to be back in East Texas, been in the hill country for a few days, get a little rest, it was nice, it's rare that I don't have an alarm set and uh, so it was It's kind of nice to kind of wake up and a couple of days the sun was already up, okay maybe just one day. The sun was already up, because I rarely get up that late, but it was kind of neat. So thank you for the opportunity to be away for a few days. We're looking at Romans chapter three, Romans chapter three. And um, we're coming to an end, the end of a section that Paul began way back in Romans one. 18, when he laid out and said, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. From that point on, he starts talking about how men suppress the truth. Both Jews and Gentiles pushing back against the righteousness of God that has been revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wrath of God having been poured out, Paul lays out how mankind demonstrates that they are pushing against the will of God, that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and as a result, God gave them over let them go downstream. I don't know if you remember when we were in that section. I described the words speaking of uh, that God, uh, God gave them up or gave them over. Is not uh, God letting go of the boat, and it just beginning to float away from Him and downstream. But God released the boat and then gave it a shove. Paul is reminding us and letting us know the depravity of mankind and how deep it runs. Not only for Gentiles but also for Jews who take the law and misuse the law and mistake the law as a means of God showing them favor. But instead, the law, through the law, comes knowledge of sin. So he has not been kind to anyone, neither Jew nor Gentile. He's made sure all the way through these these chapters and these verses to make us to understand and to see that all mankind is Sinful. Paul puts it this way, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. What we've had going on is we've had uh, Paul laying out evidence of our great need for the gospel and how much we deserve the wrath and judgment of God. He's been laying that out. Presenting evidence all the way through, just like it was a courtroom. And here we are at the indictment. We're at the place where he makes this charge. We've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. This is a part of Romans nobody wants to hear. Nobody wants to hear a sermon on how dreadfully awful we are as men and women. How sinful we are and how much we push back against God who has shown us His righteousness. In the gospel, nobody wants to hear it. I mean, who wants to hear all the dreadful things about yourself? You know? Hey, Rick, put on a few pounds there, huh? Who wants to hear that? I don't mind. Go ahead. Or how about... You put an extra gloss on that head this morning. I like how y'all laugh at the things that hurt my feelings, you know. I'm just kidding. They really don't. No one wants to hear of how dreadfully sinful they are or have highlighted all the bad things. That we do. But I tell you, if you don't hear this message, you'll never believe that you have need for salvation. That's the importance of the bad news of our condition so that we can appreciate the good news of salvation through Christ alone. I want us to consider three things today. First of all, that all are under sin. Paul comes right out and says that. That's my first point. All are under sin. What does it mean to be under sin? That's the question I hope we can answer this morning. Secondly, I want us to consider the sinfulness of all of us is evident. It is evident. There's another word for the courtroom, evidence. There's evidence that what the Word of God says about us is true. Lastly, just so that the whole thing's not me pointing out how bad we are. The third point is this, great hope to come. Great hope to come. As Paul has been laying out the truths about the evil, the wickedness, the unrighteousness of both Jews and Gentiles, He's finally come to this place where he says there's this charge that all, everyone is under sin. Everyone is under sin. What does that mean? First, I believe that it means we are under the guilt Of sin. We're under the guilt of sin. Sin is innately wrong, it is inherently wrong. There's nothing about sin that is right. Paul is referring to an objective reality when he says all of us are under sin. Rather than a subjective feeling, some people feel guilty and some people do not. Some people feel guilty all the time and some people never feel guilty. Paul's not speaking of how one feels about sin. Y'all ever said or heard someone else said, I don't feel that I've done anything wrong. They don't feel guilty. He's not speaking of how one feels about sin. He is stating as a matter of fact that everyone is guilty. All of us are under sin. The guilt of sin is independent of the penalty of sin. Even when there is no penalty for sin, there is guilt of sin. Those who are pardoned through the blood of Jesus Christ by faith are pardoned because there is a charge against them because they are guilty so we're under the guilt of sin some people will often say well you know i, I i'm going to be fine before god i i i haven't I haven't sinned that much, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a thief, I'm not a liar, I'm not any of these things, they're comparing to the wrong standard because the standard to compare to is a holy God who rightly brings judgment against guilty sinners. Paul's point is that there are no exceptions in all of mankind. All are guilty of sin and all deserve judgment. All deserve the wrath of God. Everyone. That's his point. Not only are we under the guilt of sin, we're under the penalty of sin. We deserve judgment. We're under the fear of God's penalty because of the guilt of our sin. God's holiness must punish sin. So apart from Christ, we live under the punitive wrath of God. The wrath of God actually is poured out in our living. If we're apart from Jesus Christ, it's poured out in our... Why is that? Because of the choices that we make. Because of the choices that men make apart from Christ and apart from a moral standard and apart from a holy God. Our nature is to run down a path that leads to destruction And so apart from Christ, mankind lives under the punitive wrath of God. But the good news is is that God made a way for this penalty to be paid by another. Someone has to pay a penalty. And the gospel tells us that God punished His Son on our behalf. However, apart from Christ, people live under the weight of the wrath of God, they walk with the burden of God's wrath on them. We're under the penalty of the law. That's how man is. That's mankind. We have the weight of sin. We're guilty. And because we're guilty, that penalty is being poured out and ultimately will be poured out on the last day on those who do not trust in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul lays some of this thinking out for us. Ephesians chapter 2, he says this, "And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, verse 1, Describing how we walk with this weight. That we willingly follow the path of this world. So not only are we under the guilt of sin and under the penalty of sin, but also we need to understand that this means that we are under the power of sin. What this means is that we're bent toward the wrong direction. Sin sways us toward more sinfulness. That's how mankind is. We just keep multiplying our sin. We find new ways to commit evil. And Paul has already laid out the evidence for all these indictments. He's made known these truths. He said, you are like the sons of disobedience, or you are the sons of disobedience. You are children of wrath. Everyone's under sin. He's going to repeat that over and over again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's all there was. It's all there is. One thing Paul's doing is he's trying to help us to see the desperate need that we have as mankind for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's not making this stuff up either. Paul's not just giving his opinion. He's not just simply saying, you know what, guys, this is what I think. This makes sense to me. So let me give you my opinion. No, look what it says. It says, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. As it is written. So often what people want to do is they want to say, You know what? I I don't believe. I I mean, I know you're a Baptist and everything, and y'all are all straight laced and all this stuff. And I see a lot of grins come up when I said talked about straight laced Baptists. And and y'all, you know, you're a little more rigid than some of the other denominations, and 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 so forth. And I I, I know you're like that, but I just don't believe that abortion is sin. I, I don't believe. That homosexuality is sin. I don't believe that you should be unloving like you Baptists are Paul saying I'm not sharing an opinion. I'm sharing the word of Christ as it is written. You see, that's what we hold to. We don't hold to a particular opinion. We hold to a particular word. The word of God and the words of God. Paul's not making this stuff up and making himself a superior. He actually calls himself the chief of sinners because he persecuted the church. And he's in awe that God would save him. Paul's laying out the nature of sin of all of mankind, and he's doing it from the Word of God. So I, I want to take a moment and go to the text that he's using here and mention these few verses. Because he says, as it is written. We're all under sin. As it is written. Everyone is a sinner. And let me show you from the Word of God that that's true. And so he begins to quote Psalm fourteen one through 3, and, uh, which is repeated in Isaiah 53, 1 through 3. And he uh, begins to say, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. The sinfulness of all mankind is evident. It's evident. Here in these verses 10, 11, and 12, Paul is laying out how the inner man, the heart of everyone, is corrupt and incapable apart from God. He uses a phrase, we have all turned aside. In our inner being, we all turn aside. Aside from what? We turn aside from the living God, just as Paul has been saying. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They've turned aside. That's what we do. There's no one that is righteous and no one who seeks God, it says. There are none who pursue God. Apart from Christ, it is not in us to seek after God. It's Not in us. Jesus said this, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 6, 44, if y'all need a reference. No one can come to me. Why? The corruption of the heart runs that deep. Our capacity to want that. To want darkness is what we want our capacity to want God and long for God isn't there. No one is righteous. None has innate righteousness in them. No one understands nor seeks after God. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That word can in that verse is the Greek word dunamai. It means power. No one has power to come to me, is what Jesus said, unless the Father draw him. No one. It shows how deep our depravity is. It's complete. It's total. We're bent away from him. All mankind is corrupt and totally depraved. That, by the way, doesn't mean we're as bad as We can be. It means that we have no propulsion toward God apart from Him providing it. If we could choose Christ on our own, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do it. The scripture says, light has come into the world. And men have loved the darkness. Mankind loves the darkness. At one time, you loved the darkness. The heart and inner man is so bent away from the living God, that we won't come to Him. There's no one who is righteous. There's no one who seeks after God. Next he says in verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under. Their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Here he's quoting out of Psalm 5.9, 5, Jeremiah 5.16, Psalm 140. He refers to our speech as evidence of us being under sin. An evidence of the darkened condition of our heart. Our speech condemns us. James says we, we lie with the same tongue that we praise God with. It says here that we are deceptive in our speech. And what happens as a result? Our relationships suffer. Mankind has been at war with one another ever since the beginning. I mean, when Cain rose up and killed Abel. Our relationships suffer because we deceive. We not only lie, but we tear down others with our words and our mouths. We destroy constantly. We blame others and accuse others, and we withhold forgiveness. We speak about how somebody else needs to change, and we refuse to consider how we need to. We're quick to criticize and condemn people who have sinned against us, whereas we're slow to bring forgiveness. Forward. That's a natural bend of mankind. Sadly, it's not only unbelievers, but also believers who live out these things. We forget. that we're to walk in holiness. We demonstrate very much so. Mankind does. Gives evidence with the words that we speak that we are not in pursuit of God, nor do we know him apart from Jesus Christ. Next he speaks and says their feet are swift to shed blood in their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known They're swift to shed blood ruin and misery are in their path why Because we're built toward exalting ourselves. We're built toward demeaning others. Mankind is so tilted toward self, we often are unaware or uncaring concerning the damage done in the pursuit of self-exaltation. I love the passage where Jesus is saying, if anyone wishes to come after me, anybody want to do that? Let's follow Jesus. Let's go after him. I mean, he's, he's standing there. and I mean, he's teaching and everybody's loving him and everything. And he says, if anybody wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Oh, Jesus, can you define deny yourself? Yeah. And Jesus picks up the cross and he begins going with the cross. And we say, Lord, what are you doing? I'm denying myself. I'm taking this cross. Well, where are you going? I'm going to deny myself and die for you. What do you want me to do? I want you to follow me. I want you to do what I do. I want you to deny yourself. I want you to die to yourself. I want you to follow me. Mankind is bent toward destruction all by himself. We can blame others, but we're the one who run into it. And we do so trying to exalt ourselves. We do so out of a depth of pride that we can't find the bottom of. Nor can we find its heights. But Christ Jesus can tear it down. Hear this last verse here, verse 18. He says, This is why mankind is like they are. There is no fear of God. They are unholy. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And with mankind, wisdom never begins. Apart from God's marvelous work in us. there's no fear of God. We live drifting on the winds of pleasure and pride without any thought of accountability toward God. Paul's been laying this evidence out for the last two chapters. And here we've come to the end of it, and here's the indictment And he says in verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. There's no work you can do. There's nothing you can be. There's no wealth you can attain. There's nothing that can save you apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul is just making it very, very clear to us that our sinfulness deserves the wrath, the penalty, the judgment of God. Here at the end, I want to lay this out. There's great hope to come. I think I've told you, I've been asked, uh, uh, you know, about how, what, what's your what's your sermon like? Gina asked me that just today. You know, I always get to kind of rehearse it on the way in. And I said, it sounds like a repeat. And I feel like I've been on repeat for the last several months, you know, because I've just been doing nothing but talking about how sinful we are. <laughs> Hang on. Glory be to God, okay? We're fixing to turn a corner and hit the gospel. I mean, that's what we're going to be doing for the next four years, okay? We're going to be running through the gospel. I mean, he's laid out how rotten we are and stinking we are and everything else. At the beginning of all this, he said, he said these words. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And now here, look at the sandwich, okay? I mean, that's what we've got here. We've got a sandwich of verse 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Here it is. And then look over here at verse 21. Be getting there soon. But now the righteousness of God, there it is again, has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. There's great hope to come because he's going to start laying out the gospel and he's going to say, you're rotten sinners, but look what he did. He did not withhold his son. He gave his son, Jesus Christ. This is how he loved us. This is the manner in which he loved us. He gave us his son who is a propitiation. Thee. Propitiate. There's no other. Substitute. The one who knew no sin, becoming sin for us. The just, dying for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. How we should rejoice if we've been saved. If we've been redeemed, great hope is coming in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, we're sinners. And that He is our propitiation means that God laid on Him our name. He bore our sin. It died on the cross with Him. Not only did He pay for the sin, but He also took the wrath we deserve, that punishment, that penalty that we are under. We're under sin, so we're under the penalty of sin. He took the penalty. He bore the wrath of God that you and I deserved. Isn't this marvelous news? Isn't it wonderful to know that we've been set free from our sin? That our sin has been paid for completely. I like to go to lunch. See? I love Go and lunch. And oftentimes, I'll pay for somebody's lunch or somebody will pay for my lunch and they'll always say, well, well, let me get the tip. And I always let them, you know. Let me tell you something. When Jesus paid, you can't pay the tip. There's no part of the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ that you have paid for. None. Your works don't do it. Your offerings don't do it. You showing up to church don't do it. There's nothing that you bring to the gift of salvation. It's all of Christ and none of us. I'm so thankful for that because if there's any part of it that's me, it's going to tumble like a house of cards. It's going down. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the building. He's the one who holds it all up. We should never make light of sin, but we should also Never think for a moment that God cannot take it all away because he can. And he does. And he completely saves. Yes, we're all under sin. Yes, it's evident that we are. But I want you to know there's great hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms us and changes us. And makes us new. This gospel, this salvation that is all of Christ and none of me. And if the gospel you have believed is anything other than that, it is not the gospel. Well, Rick. I know God saves me through Christ alone and takes away my sin. But I have to keep doing these things in order to keep this grace, to keep myself. Nay, not only does he save us, but he keeps us. He changes us. He makes us new. He presents us to himself beautifully. Jude 25 and 24 and 25. Say, Rick, there's not 24 chapters in Jude. I know. Verse 24. Listen to it. Now to him who is able to keep you. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) Not you keeping you. You can't keep you by your works no more than you can save you by your works. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. If if that's true, none of us are going to make it. Okay? Some of you are sitting out there going, well, No, you won't. You won't. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Oh. He who is able to keep you, and he does. I, I love the concept of the gospel and what it takes to take it on. Do y'all know what the exchange is? It's this. Here's a new life. What's that going to cost me? Your old life. Just give me that. Because the gospel always calls for faith and repentance. That's how we come to it. We believe the gospel. We believe Jesus Christ takes away our sin. We believe he gives us eternal life. And the power of the gospel that Paul spoke of leads to laying down this life and running hard after the life of righteousness that is in Christ alone. Don't put your hope in yourself, your works, somebody else. All your hope is in Christ alone, or you have no hope at all. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the gracious gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Lord, you had no obligation to save us. Yet, you gave us your son and have saved us. And Father, we want to thank you for the power of the gospel that penetrates the heart of sinful men, men who are dead in trespasses, men who are incapable of going after you. Father, we want to thank you that you made us alive in Christ Jesus. Father, I want to pray for that soul today, Lord, who may be sitting right here. Lord, that your word would penetrate their heart, their soul, their body, their being. And that they would see the great necessity of believing on Jesus because they find themselves under your wrath, under your penalty. They find themselves Guilty as charged. And Father, I pray, Lord, that they would respond to your wooing their soul to the cross. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.